Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. I'm your host, Dean Jones, and this is Season 11, Episode 6. Today, I'm talking with Polly Talbot, who is the owner and director of A La Carte Culinary Services. That is a hands-on recreational cooking school in Lindbrook, New York, and she's been operating that for the past 21 years. Polly is a culinary professional with a degree in home economics, concentrating in food and nutrition and other things. Polly's background includes food styling, restaurant management, corporate and educational test kitchen work, and product development. I was introduced to Polly by my cousin, Carrie Orthner, who was for a time a food stylist and who worked with Polly. I'm very thankful to my cousin for such a great introduction. I'm certainly glad to have been able to talk with Polly. I have to apologize also for the audio quality on my side. Um, I had a mic, a mic malfunction that was unavoidable. I'll take you now to my conversation with Polly Talbot of Alla Cart Culinary Services. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian podcast. Today, I'm talking with the owner of A La Carte Culinary Services, Polly Talbot. Polly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dean. So nice to be here. Now, Polly, can you tell us about where you're from and where you live now? I grew up in Ohio. Um, I moved to New York in a uh, long time ago, 77. And, um, and once I moved to New York, I studied foods and nutrition in college. So um, I, in Ohio, I worked for Borden and the test kitchens for a while. I did a little bit before that. I did um, research and development with Miles Laboratories, just about, a, I think about a year or so. But the job I always wanted was in test kitchens. So I got this great job to me in at Borden in their test kitchens. And I was there almost three years. I just loved it. That was just so much fun playing with food and making up recipes. It was, it was really fun. But then I moved to New York and um, I started food styling and I did food styling for photography for quite a while. I entered that world at a perfect time. It was um, just when everybody realized it was important to have somebody who was concentrating on the food for their photographs. So um, it just became a really wonderful career. And that was that was probably the most fun part of my career because it was, you know, individual jobs one at a time. And it was just really the ultimate playing with your food, I have to say, because you have assistants, you have, you know, people to help clean up, you could buy as much food as you want and put, make whatever you want, you know, whatever is needed. So that was a really fun part of my career. I learned a lot there. Um, but then once I was in New York, then I moved out to Long Island later on. So now I'm on Long Island and um, that's where I opened my cooking school. We interview a lot of people from Long Island, it seems, on the show. It's funny how that kind of works out because um, we just had Dan Adut, the, um, he's an actor. He has his own podcast, Green Eggs and Dan. Uh, he's a stand-up comic and he's done TV, like t some big TV shows and stuff like that. But he has his own um, podcast where he interviews people and he looks at their, their television, um, not, their, their, not their television, their refrigerator contents and he kind of critiques it. It's a really fun uh, podcast. He's really funny, but he's from Long Island and he talked about that really well. He, he, a lot of people from well. Long Island for sure. So, <laughs> but that's a fun idea to do that. <laughs> I did that with a friend once because she had, um, she just lives down the block and I know her actually professionally and now we're friends. And um, she has 
food allergy in her family, like food allergies, food dislikes, all these things. So, so I went down and looked in her in her cupboard and helped her try to figure out what to make. So that's that's a fun a fun thing to do for a foodie, I think, because yeah. almost anybody in the food world can open up somebody's refrigerator and figure out how to make something great. You know, unless they're like a really, um, you know, they they have only uh, beer in their refrigerator. But, you know, some most people have enough stuff. They got some pasta, they got rice or whatever, and you can uh, make up something really fun. I think that's why I liked recipe development. That was they give you like they would give you certain products and then you had to use that product and then you have a strategy like how you want to use it, you know, and what the use is for it in the end, if it's an ad or a magazine or whatever. And then you just figure out how it would work best, you know, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> it sounds really fun. I mean, I, I, I hear that and I think, God, I would love to have done that. That sounds like an amazing career. I think that would have been just really amazing. Now I want to ask you, um, with a lot of people we have on the show, people have kind of memories of cooking with a parent or grandparent or some kind of other relative. Did you have anybody growing up that kind of inspired you food-wise and let you kind of experiment in the kitchen? You know, I actually did. My um, my grandmother, my dad's mother, um, she was in Bucyrus, Ohio, this small town. She There was this fancy, this one fancy restaurant and she was the pastry chef before I think they even called them pastry chefs. She did yeah. the baking and she would go in and then do the baking and then come home, you know? So we really never thought of her as working because she probably went in real early in the morning, you know, we didn't know. we oh, were yeah. kids. But I used to stay, stay at her house or, and sit there and just watch her um, bake. And she was so good. I mean, the pies were out of this world. My mother always said, oh, her secret's just more sugar. But I don't know. She was just really good. And one time she made these um, these orange drop cookies that I cannot, I, I've had the recipe, but it's not really exactly how she did it, you know? So it's one of those kinds of things. Nobody really writes down all the tiny little nuances in their recipes, especially in old recipes. So you have to kind of figure it out. And I've gotten close to, to recreating them, but I never did it quite quite on the money, you know? But I, I remember sitting there and eating so many of those and she never stopped me. Cause of course she was my grandmother, right? She's not gonna stop me eating cookies. So, so I, I couldn't eat them for a couple of years after that, but they were so good. They were these little like cake-like cookies. And then they had this little crusty glaze on the top and they were just, they were just perfect. But I just remember her. And I think that was really where it was. My mother cooked, but there were five of us and one didn't like something else. You know, everybody had their own thing. So she was a very simple cook, you know, but she'd make pot roasts and pork chops and, you know, very basic things that kind of everybody would eat. So it wasn't, she didn't love cooking like, like. I go in the kitchen and to me, cooking is like, I don't even care if I'm just making an omelet. It's, it's like relaxing. It's just the place I want to be in the kitchen. And it, it's just always very comfortable for me. So I, my mother wasn't like that. She did what she had to do though. She was, you know, she made good food, but it was very basic. Now, how did you come to decide to get a degree in nutrition? Where did that come for you? Oh, that was funny. I had a real aha moment. I remember um, 
I went to Otterbein College. I think it's called Otterbein University now, but I um, it's a, it was in Ohio. And, you know, I think I was really, I mean, I know it was really the generation where they just said, ah, women should really go to college, right? And of course, I always assumed I was going to college. So I get there and it's like three quarters of the way through my sophomore year. And I'm starting to get press, pressured about declaring a major. And I did really love math, but nobody guided me that way. I didn't feel like I wanted to be a teacher. And that school was educating a lot of teachers at the point. And that point they were saying, be a teacher, be a teacher. You know, there's so much need for a teacher. You know, those things go in and out over the years. And um, so finally, I just remember, I remember exactly where I was driving. And it was like, I had, I said, you know what? You work and you have to do it for a big part of your day every day for a long time what do you really love Polly figure out what you really love and I just said I love to cook and and that's when I I got into the food department and there was this wonderful teacher there they didn't have a huge food department they had a couple of classes but they yeah. did a, like a special projects for me this teacher developed a couple of different several different classes like experimental cooking and institutional foods and things like that Ooh. And um, there was one other woman that took this girl at the point who took this class with me. Um, some of these classes were just really interesting. And it was really like one-on-one -on -one teaching, actually, at that point. But it was a really good basis for it. And I just really realized through that that I did like working with food. It was really something I love to do. So I studied nutrition as well. But not as much. I haven't really kept up with the nutrition part of it. Like, I mean, I'm obviously I'm always very interested in it, but I've never studied it. And there was a point where I wanted to go on and be a dietitian, but I, you know, I mixed that. I just love cooking. And that's when I really decided I wanted to work in test kitchens. And then in Ohio, there weren't that many. Borden was like the only one that I can think of. And um, so once I got that job, you know, that just kind of led me to moving to New York. And then I started food styling. And um, like I said, food styling was a lot, of, a lot of fun. And then as I was a food stylist, as the years went by, I could see it was just, this was before like the Food Network was anything. It was just like starting to be, if you saw the Food Network, it was just really beginning in 99. But I, but that's when I opened the school. But over the years, I would see how people didn't know how to make anything. Because at a photo shoot, there would be people from kind of all walks of life and also from over the country um, because they would come to New York to get the photographs for their, their products done. And it's funny because in the kitchen, and I was always in the kitchen, right? And they would all come in and I noticed it was always like, like mom in the kitchen, let's talk about my day. So it was one of my assistants one once said, it's like friends for a day. It's like you meet these people and just because you're in the kitchen and you're cooking and there's these wonderful smells and you know, we're talking about food, you bond. And then food is like that. But these people didn't know anything about cooking. I mean, the, the ordering in was the only way they could eat. And, and these, these were young people. And yeah. I just... I thought for so many years, I need to open a cooking school. I want a cooking school. So um, this went on for years where I could just see that people needed a cooking school that was 
recreational, not a CIA or not a Johnson and Wales, which is wonderful if you want to be a chef. But if you want to just survive and make good food for yourself or your family, you need to, like a recreational type cooking school. So I started that. I mean, I was looking for spaces for a long time. Food styling was much more lucrative than owning a business. So I wasn't in a rush, you know. So I was looking over several years, maybe five years, I was looking hard. And then one day I had found a place. It was like the fourth place I found that would have worked, right? You could work, make anything work. So I just woke up one morning and said, Polly, either do it or stop talking about it. <laughs> because I was procrastinating. And then that's probably the week I signed the lease to that first, that place. Um, and, and, you know, the rest was history, but it became like a, it was, it was very unique. It, it, it was in Limrock where, <clears throat> where I live now. Um, it, and it was very unique. People came really literally from all over the island, not just Nassau County, but Suffolk County. And we developed a program just kind of I've always believed like everything you need is right in front of you, you know, so we developed this program one teacher called us to ask us if we could do it. And then it just mushroomed. Um, she said we're we're a French class and we're going to the North Shore to look at a you know this French play or something could you do something for us for lunch. So I, you know, I wasn't a caterer wasn't set up to cater and. I was also of the school of never say no. <laughs> so I said, sure, okay, sure. Let me call you back because I had to think about how I was gonna do it. But they were like 30 kids and we divided them up into groups and each group did part of a meal. And this was a French meal. So each group had a, you know, one's making gougieres and one's making uh, chicken with the fien herb sauce. And, you know, they were all making something different. And then at the end, they all sit down to eat together. And then we we started, they were, the main languages taught here are French, Italian, and Spanish. So we created um, a menu, a set menu for each one of those. Um, we, we sent out an email or yeah, an email. At the, actually, it wasn't even an email. We're talking early, like 2000s, you know? So we sent out actual letters to all the schools in NASA and Suffolk, everybody we could get a hold of, we we sent letters to, and the the pro the project just like got went crazy, and it was perfect because I had night classes, but in the day I didn't have anything going on, so we did these in the day, and they were becoming like we used to do them like every single day during the week, and yeah. it was amazing, and that's how Chow Lingo came about. Do a little bit. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's exactly how Chow Lingo came out. Unfortunately, I haven't done a lot with it, but I decided after after COVID, like this, these classes, and I had thought about this a long time. Um, they needed to be recorded so that people all over the country could do them, and because it's just was such a wonderful project and we were like the favorite field trip on Long Island all the teachers would be calling you know somebody was on the phone all the all day many times just with teachers um figuring out when they could do it it just became so fun you know and then seeing these kids I always used to say if people don't like teenagers they should come watch them here because when you give them something great to do and something fun to do and where they can take ownership 
they're wonderful. They're <laughs> wonderful. So anyways, this program became um, really, really popular. And it was wonderful because I actually have to say it was kind of my mainstay because the classes at night, you know, those were um, a little different. They were adult classes, you know, in any business like that that has classes, sometimes they fill. You're always, you're always trying to say, how are we going to get this class full? What's the most exciting class we can put on? You know what I mean? You, ne you never know the exact answer to filling every class but these kids classes were just full we did 30 kids at a time and um it was it was a really great great program so child lingo came out of basically of of covid um because i had wanted to do this and then i i hired um a, a production company to help me record the classes and um so now they I have the recordings of all of them, but and I offered it for a while on my web, website, but I kind of haven't pushed it because I kind of moved on. But I would love I would love to push it because I think it's just a wonderful program. I think cooking schools all over, if they even come close to having the right amount of space, should do it because I think that's the way everybody's going to learn to cook. I mean, kids learn and I and my kids classes were always really popular too because so many and still I get calls all the time for kids programs because I teach privately now in my home um but it it's just so great when kids want to learn and and they want to learn about food and it's just so much fun to I love teaching kids I, I love teaching them they, they're just they make me laugh <laughs> And, yeah. and and you know what is different about teaching kids than adults I think kids are still in learning mode and they they're used to being told do this or listen or you know what I mean like adults yeah. come in and and they're maybe a little embarrassed because they don't know how to do something here they are like 45 years old and they they never learned how to cut an onion or you know stuff like that and they're like an, yeah. embarrassed and so they're a little more in their own way whereas kids kids aren't in their own way you know if they if they misbehave you just say stop that <laughs> you can't do that with adults <laughs> i can imagine that you've had some uh, really big impact on people's lives because you know not a lot of young people get taught how to cook these days now right. have you had any feedback or later contact from anybody that you've taught and where they've kind of said that you've changed my life or had an impact on my life Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think that's that's one of the things that in your when you're in the middle of it, you don't see that as much. But I know one time there was this this young girl and they came with a family. Like they had come with a family one year and maybe a year or two later the same family came back. But this girl was of course now this is in texting time and Instagram time. So she was Instagramming um that her family was at this cooking school. And one of her friends um, sent her a text or answered her whatever, you know, with the with the um, with her text or whatever she had. And he, he said, oh, my gosh, is Polly still there? She taught me how to make bruschetta. And after that, I'm a chef. He's a chef. Oh, my she God. Said, I taught him how to do that. And it just like ignited something in him that that 
you know, maybe it's, I think part of it is, it's like you feel good when you make something and then somebody else says, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That makes you feel so good. I mean, everybody loves to have their food enjoyed, right? Yeah. And I thought, I, I remember there was an older person, but a woman came back to me. I must have taught her husband maybe in 2000 or something like that. And she came back years later and she said, you know what? You taught my husband knife skills. He came home. He's never left the kitchen. <laughs> he just like cooks all the time. To me, when um, I put out my my menu for people to look at to see what they want to make in my private classes, yeah. I have, of course, knife skills on there, but very few people pick it. But to me, knife skills is the most empowering thing a person can do um, because you know, you sit with an onion and you cut yourself once and, and you're like, really don't want to go there again, you know? So, so if you just know the easiest way to approach it and, and get it done, um, you, you're empowered. And, you know, the next time it calls for an onion, you're not, not quite as frightened. So I think that to me is, is the most wonderful stuff kind of thing to teach people because, I think technique is what people are missing. You know, they, like they don't need, like if there's a recipe with 10 ingredients and it's say it's a Moroccan recipe or whatever, you know, you just read and follow the directions and fine. But once it's, it's making you chop a million things. In the <laughs> so if you know how to do that, it's good. And sometimes a recipe will just say saute and people don't know what that means to saute. So to me, teaching people basic technique is the most important stuff. And this is probably um, why I have hesitated so much to finish my book, <laughs> because, because um, techniques vary. I was thinking about it a lot, um, even this morning um, on my walk. I like to walk in the morning. But um, the like something like scampi, right? There's like six ways and probably a thousand more to make it that are pretty right, right? So yeah. every time I write, and I write a lot of simple recipes because honestly, it's difficult to find a simple recipe in a book because, you know, one time I, for first we were grilling, we had to write how to cook a steak, right? It's like that, that, that. <laughs> so, so, so we, we would write a lot of recipes, but the technique is so critical. And then, but in scampi, it's really not people. Uh, it's probably the most fun thing people make with me. They love it. They go home, they make it because it's straightforward. It's what garlic, butter, a little olive oil, you know, um, shrimp, <laughs> maybe wine, some chicken stock, what, you know, these different ingredients. And once you got that, you just get them put together. So do you cook the garlic first? Do you add the garlic at the end? doesn't matter a whole lot but every time I read my own recipes <laughs> again for the 10,000th time I go why did I do it like that let me change it <laughs> so that's why as I never finished the book because every time I read the recipe I go I, I think I, do, I don't want to do it like that and then if I change much I go I got to test it <laughs> so, so I don't know 
Um, but cooking is so much fun. And I just think the basics are what people need to learn. And then they can go whichever way they want. If they like French food, if they like Italian food or whatever. But if they, they learn to read and follow directions, like I always give that talk at the beginning of every class is how to read and follow the directions, how to do your mise en place. And everybody's like, what's a mise en place, you know? And yeah. It's, it's so important that people get everything cut and measured and ready before they start that um, that is what really empowers them. Those kind of tips, you know, yeah. how to get the most juice out of a lemon, how, you know, it, all these little things can empower them to be more creative on their own. And I try to talk about like, okay, this was this, like, look what you could do to make it different, you know, and, and then let them kind of learn to be experimental. Cause that's, what's fun when you cook. You talked about the cookbook um, just now. Um, do you have plans on putting out a cookbook? I do. I do. It's, it's, it's totally written. It's finished. Um, tech support is what I need. I do have a young guy, I'm, I'm actually the president of the Chamber of Commerce this year and we have this intern. So I said, I want a side project with you. I want you to help me upload these pictures, have all the pictures. I want pictures on every recipe, which is probably not necessary, but um, I know people hate to read. So I, I wanna have um, pictures on everything. So all I have to do now is get the pictures uploaded into this document and it's ready to go. So. No, the hard part is done. <laughs> yeah. Are you working with a publisher on that one? Or do we expect it to come out anytime, like next year or so? Or Hopefully, you know, I, I got inspired again recently. So I think um, if he helps me do that, it could come out. It, you know, it's going to go on Amazon one, that way. And it's all actually put together. So it nice. could come out. It could come out as, to, as soon as a week. <laughs> But I do, I do want to do it. It's just something because I feel like in this book, if somebody took this book and it's, it's not a ton of recipes, I can't even remember the number, but if somebody took this book and just cooked through it, yeah. you know, like the Julia Child movie, but, but it wouldn't be nearly that hard because it's all basic stuff. Um, it would be, they would, they would have enough for life because they would have the guidance to go on and and make whatever they want. They, they would have basics that even if that's all they ever had, they'd be great cooks. You know, they would, you know, everybody would love it. One of the things I, I used to be nervous about, like, oh, this person might know more than me or whatever. It's like, well, first of all, everybody knows something about food that you don't know. Like there's so much right. about food, but I just saw over the years, how little people know. I mean, if you haven't gone to a professional cooking school and your mother didn't cook, you don't know how to cook unless somebody shows you, you know? So you, it's hard to just self-teach, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, you can try, but it, it's hard. You know, like I always liked hands-on classes. That's why my, my school was always hands-on because yeah. like somebody watches me cut right? Chop an onion. And then it's their turn, right? So now they're chopping the onion. They think they're doing what I did and they're not. 
but I can I can see it from standing on the other side. I could see stand in the middle of your board, move back a little bit, relax, you know, your wrist and that kind of stuff. So then I can help them. Whereas it's the same thing with things on TV. Certain things you can learn, but some things you can't because because you just go into your own kitchen and you think you're doing what he did or she did and and you're not. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's hard. Well, I think, it's, like I think dance. it's like dancing. <laughs> I think it's really important what you're bringing up because we come in an age where there are a lot of people that are kind of autodidact um, foodies who they will go like from zero to like croissants or zero to like souffles and it's I think there's no real learning the kind of uh, technique that you're talking about. And like, <clears throat> I'm, you know, 57, I've been cooking for a really long time because I've had to, you know, for me, it was a matter of survival. And mm -hmm. I love food, but still I've, I've had to cook. There was no options for me. I've, you know, had to cook for my, you know, my families in different contexts. And there's always been this kind of need to cook, but I still love it. But I, I, I myself at 57 think I really could go back and take like a class from you to learn technique because I think that's missing. Do you think a lot of people just kind of ham-handedly go into it and then they're realizing, crap, I don't know what I'm doing? Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's a lot of people are like that. And yeah. um, I think actually now that the school is closed and I'm teaching at home, I think people like that a lot. Um, yeah. Just last night I was talking to this woman. She said her children are all grown. She has four kids. I think the oldest is 26 and the youngest is around 22, but they all live at home still. She said all for various reasons, um, but she, they have food allergies right and left, like gluten and this and that, you know, eggs and all, all kinds of food allergies, one yeah. and the other. One doesn't have any food, the poor kid. <laughs> but so, but she said over the years, she's made it, she's gotten by because she's, you know, she's learned like, how to you know not con and the one celiacs so you really can't touch the flower it can't be near the flower so she's learned but she says I just don't like my skills you know so she's talking about taking a five I said I said maybe a five-week course where you come and we start you know we'll start with the basics knife skills and things like that like I said it's gonna really help her just chopping correctly and then, and then just do, I like to do a class on veg, vegetables, vegetable cookery. You roast, you steam, you bake, um, you know, you do all different types of things with vegetables, um, <clears throat> saute, depending on what they are. And at the end, number one, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's all colors. But, you know, people think they hate beets. It's because they always had the ones from the can on the salad bar. But yeah. if you roast beets, which actually are coming now, you know, in the cryo pack that are really, I had some from uh, one of the places recently and I said, this is really good and a lot easier than roasting beans. <laughs> yeah, you also don't end up with purple fingers. Yeah, exactly. But you know what, that's another thing that, that cooking has changed so much over the years. And yeah. sometimes like I'll go to a Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or one of those nice stores where, even even my regular supermarket, like everything can be chopped. If you want, you can just go through the aisle and just have everything almost finished for you. So there, there's yeah. really no reason not to cook anymore, except that people have this fear, you know, of, of getting yeah. into the kitchen because they think they don't know how to do it. Um, I, I always gave Emerald a lot of credit 
Oh, because I remember in the beginning, you know, with his bam and all that and his macho yeah. thing in the kitchen, he, I could tell when, you know, when I first opened the school that he, he made it okay for men to like to cook, you know, so, yeah. he like blessed it. Like, you don't have to be uh, like Mr. Mom, you could just be yourself and go in the kitchen and cook, you know, and, and it's okay. So I, I gave give him a lot of credit for getting people, you know, getting guys in the kitchen, because I have to say, when I first opened, it, it was not a man thing at all. If you think yeah. about 99, um, it, it wasn't wasn't such a guy thing to be in the kitchen. It was now everybody's in the kitchen. And most women say to me, I don't cook at all. My husband's a great cook. <laughs> yeah. Well, now yeah. there was almost nobody on TV. I mean, there was... Um some people, a handful of people on PBS, but that was it. And he was more in the mainstream on regular television. And he was kind of a celebrity where he came out and he was fun and engaging. And I think he made it look like it was accessible. Whereas I think the PBS chefs kind of made it look a little hard. Or maybe I, I think so too. Too many ingredients, too many people back in the back chopping and doing everything for them. You know, they, yeah. I, I, I don't like I remember watching, and it's a good thing I don't remember who it was, but I was watching a, a you know, a, a cooking show years ago, and the premise was this man was working at home, his kids were home, and so I guess he was kind of in charge of dinner, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so he's, the idea is he's taking, you know, 20 minutes and getting what's going to be dinner later, right? In the middle of the day, he's taking a few minutes and getting dinner together there were so many ingredients so much work to do and he made it I mean it looked easy because all the stuff was chopped for him <laughs> that does that's not the real world right um so it just it wasn't fair you know like I'm saying show him how to broil an amazing piece of salmon and yeah. and have it be delicious and make a couple of sides you know show them a couple of spices to put in. And that's that's the ultimate 30 minute meal where it's not overwhelming with chopping and sauces and things like that. It's simple and you can go for a long time on your basics, you know, like that. And and it's, it's easier, <laughs> it's a lot easier. Now I'm gonna ask you, um, I'm sure you've seen on social media and everywhere people are doing kind of their own food styling, you know, inadvertently. And I, I do a lot of uh, posts where I post, I mentioned this as a joke with a lot of my guests that, you know, basically I seem to have a beige color palette with all my food photography. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about, can you talk a little bit about uh, food styling and how you got into it and what you've experienced with doing food styling and also sure. any tips you give slobs like me who aren't very good at it. <laughs> Years ago, you know, I wrote a um, something when when the social media was really coming around and everybody was doing their own food styling, and yeah. I wrote I, I wrote something I can't remember exactly the name of it. I'm sure it's still in my computer. Tips for tips from a food stylist for your social media, something like that. And um, it's it's true. I mean, some of the things food styling really morphed into something different in the beginning when I did it everything had to be perfect. I mean, if it was a stew and it had herbs in it, 
you couldn't put the herbs in because people thought it looked like bugs and everything looked like plastic food, right? But now to me, and I, I just used to, it used to bother me, but that's what the clients always wanted, everything to be perfect. <clears throat> so I, what I did was um, I am it morphed over the time, you know, into, no, you're good. It, it morphed into to being more casual over yeah. the years. And editorially, it started first. And, you know, still even with um, photographs for large companies, it still has to be pretty perfect. But over the years, it got, you know, there was a little bit of messy plate and things like that. But basically, you look at the silhouette shapes of it. Also, when you're when you're just styling the food, you want to make it so that you can see the ingredients. Like if there's a mushroom in there, you want to pull it up so that it, you see a mushroom. You know, it could be sideways or upside down or whatever, but you want to see all the ingredients. Right. So that's the first key is to see it. Garnishing is depending on the, on the recipe itself, but garnishing should always be something that's in it primarily. Right. I would say, except for parsley, because parsley like comes out of, you know, if something's really bland, people chop parsley and put on it. But um, typically it should be something that is in it that that helps you garnish it to look pretty. Um, I, I think, you know, there's not, it has to look fresh and just a bottle, a little spritz bottle of water just before you shoot, um, just to make sure it's fresh looking because if you start to let, you know, something sits there and you're fooling around with the picture and it starts to get like a little cloudy on the top on the, like the sauce gets that kind of gelled looking, or just the spritz is going to bring it back to life. And then you just, of course, have to clean up the spritz on around the side of the plate if that's a mess. But, but honestly, it's pretty simple, but you want to see what's in it and it, you want it to look like you want to eat it. You know, yeah. like the ice cream cone that's like got a drip coming down is much more enticing than the sterile fake ice cream that doesn't have any drips. You want, when you right. see the drip coming down, you want it right now in your mouth. <laughs> so that's what you want to portray. You you want it so people want to get their fork and get in there, you know? So that would be my advice. <laughs> Spritz. <laughs> Spritz, I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> Can you talk about your time managing restaurants? I, that sounds like something that would be kind of an exciting time period for you. Have you can you talk about the the restaurants you've managed and? No, I've really I haven't really managed a lot of restaurants. What I did when I this was really in the first in the beginning before I even had the job at Borden, I thought I wanted to to work in restaurants and I I managed this restaurant and it was kind of like a. Um, glorified diner it was in Ohio. Um, mm -hmm. The owner was not a restaurateur. So that was a little hard. I always think that's kind of, you know, everybody's got to be on board with the concept, I think. And he, um, he, so he wasn't much help, but, and I was too green to do it, but it was a lot of work. It's managing restaurants is really not anything that, that intrigues me. It's, I, I just, in the beginning, I was always afraid, oh, what if somebody doesn't like my food? You know, that would bother me. <laughs> I was yeah. like too nervous about it. Yeah. But it's 
it's like so many hours. It's just, you never are finished. And uh, restaurants are mostly open, not always seven days a week, but often in those days they were. And it was, it was a lot of pressure. So anybody who runs a restaurant, I give them a lot of credit. Uh, yeah. I do, when I go to restaurants, I can't say like, I'm like really critical, but what I'm critical about in restaurants, and I think people don't realize the simple things, like when you walk in the door, are you greeted nicely? Is your, is your weight person nice? Are they friendly, um, helpful? Do they rush you? I hate to be rushed in a restaurant. I, I think, and the food itself is important, but not as important as how you feel when you're in the place, you know, how you're treated and how, how you know, how welcome you feel. The food, to me, the food has to be fresh. The food has to be properly prepared. It doesn't have to be fancy, elegant, but, you know, if you order your steak medium rare, it shouldn't come out medium well. If you order, you know, whatever you order, that should be what you, the way you get it. And, um, you know, there's just, I think so much that in restaurants, people don't realize it's how you're treated, how they feel when you're there. If you're a wine bar, have great wine. If you're, you know, I, it, it's, it's, it's basically simple things. I think that's always where people go wrong. It's like the simple things they don't see, you know, I don't know. How do you feel yeah. about that? <laughs> well, I was, I was going to ask you because, and this is something I think is very much a big topic right now, because there's been recent books like A Waiter in Paris by Edward Chisholm that's come out recently, talking about being a waiter and waitstaff and food, you know, service, as far as like the waiter part of it and like helping, you know, being part of that part of the staff and the service mentality and making sure that things are perfect. And then The Bear recently um, on Hulu has basically touched on that topic. Two, now I feel feel like where I'm at, ever since COVID, I feel like if you go to a restaurant now, the service is abysmal. It pretty much derails the whole thing. I've had excellent food, but then have everything gone to hell because the service was just the worst I've ever experienced. Do you think that's declining or it's struggling right now? Is that something that's been really a hard part of the food industry? I think it's 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 like a disastrous part of the food industry right now. I think it's it's they almost forget the, the fact that people like to go out because it's fun and it's enjoyable and it's pleasant because sometimes you go out, there's more wrong with the night than is right with it. Yeah. And, and that's so sad. I mean. I was just in a restaurant. Um, my son and I try to eat, you know, he has two kids, he's busy, works and everything, but um, we try to get together a couple times a month. We try for every week, but it's never every week, but you know, a couple of times. So we went to this place that I always used to think in the past, they had like only fried food. It was kind of like a big pub kind of that style. And yeah. I used to always think, oh, I don't want to go there. It's all fried stuff. It's not healthy and this and that. So over the last year, I've been in there for one thing, one event or something. And the, the food was so good. Like this, I, I'd have a salad and everything was perfect. Like a salad with shrimp on it, you know, a certain kind of fancy salad with like grilled shrimp. 
the shrimp was cooked perfectly. I mean, you know, how many times you get overcooked shrimp? It's not fun. So, so everything was done. So I just told him the other day when we were leaving, I said, you know, this, your chef is amazing. You got to tell your chef he's amazing because he's really made this restaurant like for everybody, you know, and um, the only thing I would say I don't like about the restaurant is it's really loud because it's not that even what even when it's not full, it's loud. It's one of those, that's, that's I think, a big problem for restaurants they don't real, realize is when you can't hear your person across the table from you, it's, it's so unpleasant, you know, because a lot of surfaces, the surfaces are, are you know, concrete or, or ceramic tile, I would say, or, or, yeah. uh, and the walls are, are, not not anything that's going to absorb sound all different kinds of materials but I think people don't pay attention to the experience that we're having because dining out is an experience it's not just you, you know eating maybe maybe some of the fast foods that people grab on the way that's just to fill their stomach but when you go out to a nice restaurant you're out for the fun and the experience and you want it to be pleasant so when it's so loud, everybody's like screaming, you come home at the night and your voice is scratchy because you've been screaming all night to be heard across yeah. the people. So that drives um, me crazy. I hate that so much because I, I don't know how many times I've had it where friends are like, oh, we meet this restaurant and I go there and we're just waiting for the table and we can't hear each other. And I'm like, screw this. We'll go somewhere else. I'm not staying here. We're not going to yeah. hear each other. And the, the wait staff is like, why are you leaving? And it's like, well, why do you think <laughs> you, we can't hear each other? And, and like, I don't know how many times I said, can you turn the music down a little bit? And they look at you and they go, no, we can't. We have to have it this loud. I'm like, who's making that executive decision to keep the music so loud that your diners can't talk to each other or the waiter? Exactly. You know what I heard one time years ago, there was a restaurant in the city and, and they had a problem with the sound. And I guess they had people come in and help them figure out because it was so loud. People were complaining. They carpeted underneath the tables, like right under the tables, they put carpet and yeah. it absorbed the sound and it changed the way the, the experience at the restaurant. So yeah. I don't know how much carpet you have to put out, but certainly worth a shot. You go get the remnants from the carpet store last year's models and put them under your tables. Be worth it. Worth a shot. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was, um, there was an iconic restaurant in the city, uh, the Fog City Diner. And, you know, I've always wanted to go there. I used to walk by it every day. And I guess they got new management and I was walking by it. And I noticed that every available bit of wall space had a television on it. Oh, I hate that. And I, and I just said, well, I'm never going there now. Yeah. Why would I want to go to a place where TVs are blaring and every available surface? That's you know, I agree so much. Like, I, I sort of get it in a sports bar. I mean, you, you got to get it yeah, in a sports yeah, bar. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. But it's not, it wasn't a sports bar, but yeah, yeah I get it there. That's fine. But, you know. But I know, I because I, I feel like, you know, if somebody's sitting, somebody's sitting, if the TV's behind them, your eyes, it's on all the time. You're going to start looking up every now and then. And then that's so rude to your, your friend that you're <laughs> And your friend notices it too. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to a restaurant, you know, I'm going there to meet people usually or spend time with family. You want to be able to talk and enjoy your time. Right. 
And if you're screaming over each other, how is that enjoyable? It's more aggravating than anything else. Yeah, I, th I, you know what? When you're talking about what's going on with restaurants, I would, I would say these are, these are some of the things that are really important for them to notice. And the, the overall is, is consider the experience that people are coming in for, you know, and yeah. to, to try to nurture that experience and, and friendliness of the of the staff or the owner or every you know it just means so much when you're when you're out you know just to feel like you're you know like if they're in a rush they got to hide that you know they have to not be in a rush when they come by your table you know what i mean yeah <laughs> they have to treat everybody as if they came that day just to say hello to you you know i think Absolutely. that would be nice <laughs> like it's just that something that's going by the wayside though because i've had nothing but negative experiences in restaurants recently and, and so many times like the food is brilliant but it's undermined by the really bad service and it just mm -hmm. you know just simple things like getting another drink getting an extra fork getting a napkin things like that seem to be you know lost on most wait staff nowadays and yeah and i well i think it is training also i mean nobody's being trained because everybody's desperate for help so anybody says I'll do it. Um, no, I was in that wine bar the other day, and, and the, I mean, the wine was not good. <laughs> the wine was not creative. It wasn't interesting, and the wine and the bartender. That was a loose term for her because she wasn't really a bartender. Yeah. So that that those experiences are so important, and I know you know what I. When it comes down to it, think about this. Like, so you get an employee who's not really trained. Yeah. Teach them to smile. <laughs> Teach yeah. them to smile. You know, if somebody comes to your table and says to you, in a with a big smile, listen, I am going to do the best I can to help you, but this is my first day, so bear with me. Then you're going to be like on her team. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think people forget to smile. They forget that you're in there for a nice time, not to be miserable. Well, yeah. And when you go into a restaurant and they're, and they're frowning and they're upset looking, you immediately think, oh, no, what have I gotten myself into? Exactly. Yeah. How stuck am I? Can I get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Feet do your stuff. Um, yeah. I, we already talked about Emeril a little bit. Are there any other um, food celebrities or food, um, you know, food writers that you really enjoy their work and really inspire you? Well, Julia Child goes without saying, but um, I, I think, you know, who I always admired, I always admired her, her, her shows is Sarah Moulton. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. I, she's, I just always loved the way she talked because she was really talking to you. you know, she wasn't. She wasn't trying to make any pretenses. And what I really loved about her, because a couple of times I saw her on a show where she had like a, a, a famous or semi-famous chef from a nice restaurant or whatever. And he was doing something. A couple of times I saw this. He was doing something that wasn't correct, right? Or, or like, and she loved us, the viewer, so much she didn't want us to go away thinking that was the right way to do it but yeah. she didn't make him look like a fool either right. she figured out how to say it 
to me, I, I just saw her figure out how to say it in a way where we knew how to do it properly. And that was his way. And that was a great way to, or something like that, you know? So I, I just always admired that, but I always thought she was a really good teacher because she was very clear and she was um, direct and, and personable. And, and I just felt like she cared. You know, I like it when you feel like the show is not about them. The show is about teaching you. Yeah. And that's always the way I wanted to be in my school. And that's the way um, I think you, you appreciate learning like that, where, where you feel like you're the important person, not the teacher. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter about that. You're, you, you're there to learn. So I like that. Polly, what's next for you? Well, actually, um, once I closed the school, and that was during COVID, so um, I, I started doing, like I said, I started, te I teach private classes in my house. Um, I love it. I teach some special needs people, which I, I like doing as well. And um, I occasionally have a kid's class, but I rarely put classes on where people sign up because I only take four or five at the most at a time. Yeah. Um, and most of my classes are either one or two people. Yeah. So, um, and I really enjoy that. But I also recently took on for the second round, the presidency of the Chamber of Commerce and oh, wow. have yeah, it's busy. <laughs> so I think good. I'm a busy person. So some people are just busy people. And no matter yeah. what, you, you stop me, like in five minutes, I'm going to be going up to 100 miles an hour again. Um, but but I really like business and business has always intrigued me. And having a business for all those years, I feel like I really get everybody's pain. No, yeah. people say businesses don't succeed because they're undercapitalized. I was the classic undercapitalized business. When I opened the doors, I was done. <laughs> I didn't have any money left. But yeah. you know, I was there for 22 years, so I can't I can't complain too much. And um, but I understand how hard it is to run a business. So I I really, my heart breaks for some people when I see them struggling, you know, and I, I love giving, you know, advice or guidance, or sometimes all they need is an ear or just a little, you know, support sometimes. But as, as the chamber president, I have a lot of connections with the village and the village hall and, and people so I can connect people to the right people. Um, and, and we're just like really working hard to change our image and, and to be like really leaders in our community. So I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying doing that. That's, that's so I would say what's next for me. I don't know. I, I promised to do that for two years. So that's so I got a year and a half to go yet. Um, it was fortunate that I did it before because I knew it's one of those thankless jobs that you can take on, but um I don't know. I think, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I'll always teach at home. You know, I, I like doing that. People will ask me to go places and do things. I don't want to do that. I said, I'm done schlepping. You know, I don't, you know, I like, I like my house. Everything I need is here, you know? So if, if I go to somebody's house, people say, oh, I have a great kitchen. It's like, no, you don't, <laughs> <laughs> but you don't have a wooden spoon. <laughs> So, you know, people think they have a great kitchen, but that they got expensive appliances. Yeah, <laughs> so. there's a difference. Yeah, there is. 
Holly, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. We're going to put um, links to your um, Carta a la carte culinary services in Shaolingo um, in the link in the bio. So we'll have that for people that are interested after hearing your comments. Okay, so a la carte culinary services will go directly to polytalbot.com. Yeah. So that's that's actually my website now, polytalbot.com. And I changed the name of my business to be polytalbots a la carte. So it's a little oh, bit nice. different but everybody sees the a la carte culinary services and knows me and it still comes up on Google. So it could be a little confusing. <laughs> so. All right, we'll have links to that in the bio then. Well, thank you okay. for being on the podcast. I really love getting a chance to talk to you. When your uh, cookbook comes out, I'd love to have you on again to talk about that. All right, thank you so much, Dean. It was great to be here. Thank you. And I'll go ahead and stop here. That was my conversation with Polly Talbot. We have a link to her website in the bio. Next week, I'll be speaking with Dr. Alessandra Pina, who is an expert on intersections of the Gothic food and cultural memory. She is the co-host of the Fear Feasts podcast, which I'm a huge fan of, and the co-author of the upcoming book, A Gothic Cookbook. Alessandra will be on next week. I hope you had a great time listening to my conversation with Polly. Um, until next week, I'll see you at the library.